Here at the Marketing Society, our purpose is to help our members do well in their careers and lives and do good in their business and the world. We aim to provide the places and spaces for noteworthy conversations and meaningful connections. The Marketing Society Awards were launched in 1985 as an extension of our mission, and they set the standard for marketing excellence in the UK. Today, we delve into one of our most prestigious awards, the Inspirational Marketing Leader in partnership with strategic advisory firm, MediaLink. This award recognizes a leader who has shown incredible impact on their team, brand, industry, and of course, society as a whole. In 2023, the winner of this unique award was Christina Diaz-Handino, Chief Marketing Officer at Diageo. So today you're in for a real treat with a candid and mind-expanding conversation between our winner and David Muldoon, Vice President at MediaLink. Enjoy. Christina, welcome. Thank you for joining me on the Marketing Society podcast with MediaLink. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure for me to be here. I'd love to dive into your fantastic career and some of the ways you've been driving change and business impact. I've held various marketing roles and general management as well across the world, in many countries, in developed countries, in emerging markets. And I have had the opportunity to experience a lot in terms of how consumers enjoy brands, how can marketers connect with consumers in different circumstances, in different moments. And I think that has been perhaps the most significant part of how my career has taken the shape that it did. On the topic of inspiring leadership, I would love to hear in your own words about who or what inspired you at the beginning of your career. I guess at the beginning of my career, I was uh, very early on, very inclined to seeing the bigger world. I suppose I'm originally from Spain. I come from a smaller town in Spain. And I had the opportunity to go to university in Madrid, which to me at that time sounded like, you know, incredibly exciting. Still does today, by the way. And that propelled me to taking on, you know, I suppose, adventures as as things came by. I had the opportunity to meet different people and very early on be exposed to lifestyles and uh, career paths that were not what I had been exposed to as I was growing up. And I found that challenge and exhilaration really exciting. And so very quickly, I felt like I really wanted to do that. And I suppose what I did was put myself in a place of being able to access or accept opportunities and challenges as they came through. And I think I've done that to this day. I'd love it if you could take us through some pivotal moments that you see that led you to to get to where you are now. There have been many pivotal moments that I can think of, but perhaps the first one was as I was working for Unilever and I had the opportunity to come to the UK and work for an international company at that time and have a very international role. I was traveling back then to 
very far away places uh, for me at the time, which were presented very different circumstances, very emerging markets and very emerging categories as well. So that was for me a pivotal moment in the sense that my learning curve moved so fast, so much at that time that it allowed me to see the beauty of exposing yourself to things that are fairly new to you, in that case, to me. I suppose the other big one for me was I had a chance to go and work in the U.S. again for Unilever. I had been married for a few years only, and I had my first uh, child in the U.S. Very different kind of circumstances. And clearly, you know, having children, uh, that was certainly a big shift, a big pivot moment that then led to figuring out how do you do it all, if that is possible. But then I had, again, the chance to, when I left Unilever, join the Spirits company in Spain, was Allied Domecq, and that in turn opened up the world of the Spirits environment and industry, which I found fascinating. And when that company was sold in 2006, then I joined the Agio in a global role in Amsterdam. I was a global director for Johnny Walker. That was another pivotal moment for various reasons. But fundamentally, I suppose the biggest one was that was my first global job. So I found that was uh, presented different challenges. It required different leadership skills. Really, it was a necessity to look at the world. Johnny Walker is a very global brand. It's big, of course, in Europe, in Latin America, in Africa, in Asia, literally everywhere. And I found that incredibly exciting. Um, How do you really embrace a global footprint in a manner that is so substantial and so important for the company. Different teams, different cultures, that has been a common thread. But at that point, it was a pivotal moment in that, if anything, that was taking to another level. Those are definitely pivotal moments, I can imagine. Um, So this takes us nicely to July 2020, when you were appointed Chief Marketing Officer at Diageo. I'm sure it was a huge opportunity, but also a very challenging time for people and businesses, as we'll all be aware. And I know you've spoken in the past about how you wanted to instill a mindset of possibility at Diageo. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? That year was a very peculiar year and very difficult for most of us. For me personally, what it meant was I came to the role as CMO of the Agile at a time where effectively our world was shifting. And in our industry, that involved things like the entree, that is bars and restaurants were closing, of course. And that in many of our markets, it's a very fundamental part of our business. So we had to very quickly Think about what are the things that we cannot do of the practices that we have been, we are so good at, and yet we will not be able to operate in that manner simply because that whole channel is closed. Meanwhile, there were aspects of the business and perhaps even new channels in the business that were developing very fast. For example, people were preparing more cocktails at home. And so very quickly, we had to prepare ourselves for not doing things that we are used to doing, where we tend to have a very good position and actually strength and embrace areas of our business and our practice that were fairly novel to us very quickly. 
And all of that combined whilst, of course, everybody's working from home. So that mindset of possibility for me was very real. It meant we can do something that we haven't even considered before, perhaps because we didn't have to, but now we can and we must. And whilst the management or I suppose the navigation was very difficult many times, the outcome that we were pursuing was very exciting. We said to ourselves, you know, obviously we wouldn't know what the future might look like. We were preparing different scenarios and thinking of different plans, depending on how those scenarios might or might not happen. But whichever the scenario, we felt very strongly that we would emerge stronger. And that meant not just from a business outcome point of view, but very importantly, in terms of how our teams are feeling, how we're engaging with our own internal communities, our own external partners. And we felt that going through that moment of great difficulty together with that sense of, we know that we don't know what the future might look like, but we have that commitment of doing the right thing and coming to the, at the other end, perhaps in a better position than we've been at before. And certainly feeling that we've done the best we could drive our imagination, drive our creativity, drive our you know, business acumen to its best possible place. And that's what we did. The results were very good and people have learned so much. I have learned so much of that. And in fact, taking a lot of strength from the fact that we now know we can embrace difficult challenges and take our business forward in a way that perhaps hadn't been anticipated and yet it is so powerful. And I'm sure it requires extreme innovation as well, having to go through those times and continually having to come up with new ideas. And I'm very aware in your current role, you're responsible for the marketing, innovation and digital transformation of some of the world's most iconic brands, including Guinness, Johnny Walker, as you mentioned, Baileys and Smirnoff. It makes me think about a report that MediaLink recently unveiled, which was called the Marketing Forecast uh, 2024. And within this report, the data reveals that in 2024, financial performance and growth are the top priorities for marketers. However, I think you'll recognize as well that sometimes it can be hard to connect the dots between marketing investment, sales and profits. I'd love it if you could share a little insight into how you and your team contribute to the growth and success of these iconic brands. I guess I should start by saying that I think it's very important for all marketers to see themselves as business leaders. And that I think solves the mystery or that conundrum. Because if you think about you're running that brand or that portfolio of brands to effectively create business outcomes, then you will very quickly feel like you have to navigate the idea of the short-term and the long-term. In our case, if you think about some of the brands that are in our portfolio, Johnny Walker, Guinness, Tanqueray, and so many others, the idea of long-term is very present because some of these brands were actually launched centuries ago, two centuries ago, three centuries ago, that kind of time frame. And so longevity is part of the equation. Very presently, if you think about, again, perhaps Johnny Walker, which is such a big brand, as I mentioned earlier, the idea that the largest variant within the franchise is Johnny Walker Black Label, the one with the greatest value. Johnny Walker Black Label takes 12 years to produce. It's a 12-year-old whiskey. 
So we are today making decisions that will see the light of day in 12 years time, right? Or we, for example, are about to reopen a distillery in Scotland. It's called Port Ellen. It's a beauty, it's a gem. It's one of those very, very highly regarded whiskies. This distillery was closed in the 80s for different reasons. And we are now reopening it. This whiskey is so, so highly regarded. And we will be distilling again at Port Ellen. And those liquids that are being distilled today will be drunk by the next generation, not us. They will need a lot of aging. So the notion of time when you work with these categories, it's substantial. You know, it's very present. Having said that, though, we must ensure that the decisions we make in regards to investment behind our brands pay their dividends today. And I think that is a balancing act that one must perform. And in order to do that, we have to equip ourselves. And frankly, we can with the tools and the mechanisms and the capabilities that enable the conversation in the business of this investment that is going behind this MP, this media, this innovation project, this reopening of this distillery, whatever it might be, that that presents a return that is of the nature that we want. And that for me is what really being a marketer, but yet a business leader actually means. Oftentimes we've talked very specifically to your question of the bottom line about this profitable growth algorithm, which essentially means that what we're seeing is our performance, which is in turn fueled by our investment behind our brands, which drives stronger brand equity, enables our brands to be preferred, enables our brands to carry a premium, enables our trademarks to travel the journey of premiumization. Of course, it drives growth and that allows us to continue to invest. So it's this beautiful cycle that if we do our jobs really well, it will be seamless. And in addition to that, I would like to highlight that every marketing dollar you spend needs to be spent in a smart way, in the most effective way. And I think that is our duty as marketers to ensure that that is the case. And as I said, I think right now we have gladly many more tools. There's a lot more technology. We have greater capabilities, much more than we've ever had. And so we are now in a position to be able to articulate how that will happen and make measurements, take measurements and course correct as we go. I'd love to now dig in a little bit more and talk specifically about the Marketing Society Inspirational Leader Award. Throughout the judging process, an impressive consistency in your entry was your willingness to embrace new ways of doing things. Can you tell me a little bit about why it's so important for you specifically? And can you point to specific examples on how it has contributed to Diageo's success? Uh, Thank you so much, David, for the commentary. Look, I think... As marketers, having the consumer very present in the decision-making process and in our everyday, it's critical. And one thing that we know about the world is that it constantly changes. And we talked earlier a little bit about the influence of 2020 and the COVID pandemic, which is a proof point. But of course, we continue to see the world changing and multiple circumstances constantly affecting businesses throughout. And so for me, 
embracing that and leaning into that change is actually a key success factor. So what I would want is to make sure that we live with that change in a way that is almost natural, but at the same time that it informs our decisions and our capability build. So for example, if I think about one of our strong calls, which is innovation, innovation per se requires us to think differently. And we have had a phenomenal innovation team for actually many years. I think we are regarded as one of the most innovative companies. We just were awarded the number of most innovative companies in the beverage industry by Forbes, which is fabulous. And the team is delighted. But truly, I think in addition to that, I think it's important to keep pushing the boundaries. And so, for example, we just launched a breakthrough innovation team, which intends to consider what other things beyond the liquid might be of interest to consumers. We know, for example, that consumers are more and more interested in more personalized products and experiences. We think there's more that we can do that. For example, we know that responding to the requirements of the world that needs a higher degree of sustainability requires thinking about new technologies and ways of delivering products and services to people. And so all of that together for me really represents what in effect will constitute this idea of leaning in and embracing change and thinking about what's possible. And when we think about leaning in and specifically about purpose-driven brands, Diageo has been a very important voice in driving sustainable and societal accountability for brands and businesses with, for example, your Spirit of Progress plan, which I'm sure everybody's read about. The marketing forecast actually found that 45% of respondents out of a sample of 400 marketing leaders globally say their company has compromised their core values in order to enable short-term wins. And that number itself is up from 25% the previous year. How do you balance the demand of a capitalistic market uh, with the mission and values of your organization? Look, we have, we wrote uh, many years back, actually, this, uh, we call it the Diageo 2030 Spirit of Progress. And that paper, that document and that thinking has been instrumental in how we consider that really pushing ourselves towards that future, in particular in three distinct areas. One was diversity, equity, and inclusion. Another one was sustainability. And the third one, not in order of importance, of course, positive drinking. And we have done work across all of them, some of which you've just referred to. And to me, there's no real balance to be had. It's purely the notion of leaning in and make stuff happen. Sometimes it's hard. I mean, if you think about diversity, equity, inclusion, for example, we've talked so much about it. We wrote our progressive portrayal marketing framework, and we started by making commitments to our own teams, about our own teams, which means that we would be more diversely shaped than we would have been in the past and took real actions to enable that to happen. But also the partners with whom we work could have a would have a huge role to play. And you know, well, the creative industry, uh, we had several years ago, this idea of a survey of creative directors, for example, how many of them were female versus just male? And look to shape that differently 
with the intention of having that outcome influence the quality of our work. And what we've seen as a result of that is a tremendous shift in the shape and the diversity and the inclusivity of the content that we're putting out there in the world. And so that to me, we call it return and inclusion because the truth is we have seen that, and you can be very specific about the work in some of our brands, how that work looked and was perceived or was experienced you know, 15 years ago. And what is the difference of that today? And the difference is substantial. And guess what? Our audiences are more diverse. We get more people joining in and interested and, you know, delighted to experience our brands. So I think it is a journey. I know that a lot of people, thankfully, have embraced this mindset. And there's much more to do. We started work on gender. We've done work on ethnicity. We've started to think about what other forms of diversity are we not embracing as much and what can we do about that? We, for example, recently launched a campaign on Smirnoff. It's called We Do We and speaks about the power of the collective. And it's a brand that has for decades embraced diversity in a very wide way. In fact, has been very pioneering in many aspects. And this year, there was a pilot that started in here in, in the UK in partnership with one on-trade group to think about how do we embrace various disabilities in the context of a bar where our brands come to life. And I had the pleasure to attend one of the a launch events in, here in London, and it was fantastic. And it just shows there's so much more that we can do. So... To me, this is an incredible source of energy. I think without a doubt, it's a source of creativity. I know that teams all over feel more engaged because this is the kind of work that we want to do. I have conversations with graduates that speak about the fact that they would love to work for companies and brands who have a position you know, of this nature. And it's true. You know what I mean? It's, it's, there's a real nest to it. And you, it's palpable. You can see. And you, you talked a little bit there about how great Diageo is uh, looking towards the future. Um, and as we saw at CES, the word on everyone's lips at the moment is AI. Marketing leaders are at the heart of many audacious questions that AI poses. And uh, MediaLink's report showed that 84% of marketers said that they had used AI in some capacity. What are your hopes and fears when thinking about this groundbreaking technology that is generative AI? I mean, I think we are all in that space of embracing the new technology. And certainly we are you know, absolutely uh, there. Um, aware of the fact that, you know, we must be very mindful. So what we are doing is applying AI and gen AI to the spaces where we now can see that have instant application in an environment that is safe. So, for example, we will have uh, specifically AI insights tools where we can have understanding, a better understanding of our communities. Uh, we can unearth uh, consumer needs because we have access to incredibly vast sets of data uh, through social listening, through search, even things like the weather affects whether or not people will go out you know, earlier, later, 
uh, more to restaurants and bars or stay at home more. And all of that is, is real insights in real time. And so now we have access to all of that and we can use it. We, of course, will use AI for content creation and optimization. Uh, so things like once you've got a creative product, uh, which is you know, it's fabulous, but we can, first of all, inform the creation through the insight that we've gathered about the brand or about a serve or about you know flavor or whatever it might be. And once the product has been created, we can optimize it. We can optimize it before it flies. We can optimize it whilst it flies. We can even optimize it, of course, for different platforms. So consumers will have, at the end, a better experience of the content that we are putting out of the world. And indeed, you know this very well, uh, media buying. Uh, I don't need to tell you any of that, but clearly it's it's a driver of, of incredible efficiencies. And I think it's a very exciting, maybe more kind of a, futuristic and still in early exploration is the idea of Gen AI for product design. We're using it, as I said, in very safe environments, uh, but we are applying uh, Gen AI tools for, you know, to complement our product development processes and in a way that are such that our designers and developers can create more stimulus. And that in turn accelerates our ideation processes. So I think this is an area where we will see more and more. And things like, you know, natural language processing, which we have, you know, uh, even acquired actually a company in that space, uh, particularly in the area of flavor, which we think it's phenomenal because what we can now do, uh, we started doing work on whiskey. We are going to expand it further into experiences and so forth. But what we can do is create an association between expressions of preference around flavors in this instance and actual recommendations of specific brands. And we have applied it to specific programs. We had a program called Watch Your Whiskey. We have applied it to specific experiences. So for example, our Johnny Walker Princess Street brand home will welcome guests and propose a particular experience that will have different products to be tasted in accordance to the responses to a series of questions about the flavor preferences. And as a result of that, the experience of that particular journey is going to be personalized and therefore much more enjoyable, much more memorable. And that in turn will be fantastic for the relationship between that person and the brand. It's definitely an interesting and exciting time to be a marketer at the moment, isn't it? I'm excited. And I know that, you know, talented people with the right mindset and the right energy can do so much. Thank you, Christina. Um, you've definitely been an inspiration to a lot of people. Um, unfortunately, we've come to the end of our podcast today. Um, so I just wanted to say on behalf of the Marketing Society and MediaLink, I want to thank you so much for your time, Christina. It's been wonderful to chat with you today and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, David. It's been my pleasure. This was Diageo's Chief Marketing Officer, Christina Diaz-Handino, in conversation with MediaLink's Vice President, David Muldoon. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this insightful conversation on Christina's impressive journey working across various global brands and hearing about her vision and marketing leadership, which has ultimately led to her well-deserved win at the Marketing Society Awards in 2023. 
And if you would like to nominate or enter this year's awards, you can do so at www.marketingsociety.com forward slash awards. We are on the lookout for the work, brands and agencies that can demonstrate the power of marketing excellence on their business, as well as the marketing excellence stories that will inspire the next generation of marketeers and make our industry proud. Make sure your work gets celebrated. Mm -hmm.